Hi there, and welcome to the Talking Local Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Cronin, and in this podcast, we'll be talking to marketing leaders in all kinds of industries, from food and beverage, to franchising and charity, automotive, hospitality, retail, and beyond. The thing all these sectors have in common? They all operate through local partners, and that can bring certain challenges, but also significant opportunities. It's all about harnessing the power of your local partners to work together, bringing your brand to life locally, increasing sales, driving engagement, and building consistency. So sit back and enjoy. In this 30-minute panel discussion, our experts will show you simple, actionable steps that will improve the relevancy of your local marketing campaigns, improving effectiveness, and driving results that you and your local partners will be able to measure. So at the end of the 30-minute session, we'll finish with a 15-minute Q&A, and all attendees will be supplied with a simple framework for improving relevancy in their own local marketing activities. Any questions you do have can be entered in the Q&A box that's on the right-hand side of the Teams window. We will, of course, answer as many as we can, but if we don't get to yours, we'll follow up um, after the webinar. So um, on today's webinar, I'm delighted to introduce you to the panel. Um, we have myself, Peter Cronin, Managing Director of We Are Acuity. We have Claire Cardozi, Head of Digital Decisioning at London North Eastern Railway that was formerly Virgin Trains, and Martin Watts, uh, a very good friend of Acuity and a performance marketing expert. We will take a section each during the webinar and then we'll come together at the end for the Q&A. So without further ado, I will now hand over to Claire. Thank you, Peter. Can you hear me? Yeah. Perfect. So the first section of today's webinar is knowing your audience. So to deliver marketing relevancy, you need to know who you're speaking to and why. So you can find them and you can tailor your message to them. It's all about thinking like a human. What am I trying to do and why? Who am I trying to contact and what would I like to tell them? So before you jump into thinking about who you want to speak to and what you want to tell them, let's first of all take a step away from the customer and focus on the business that you work for. So if customers were doing something differently that was being driven by your marketing, what would this look like and what would it mean for your business? So for example, what targets are you trying to hit that marketing could improve to drive you forward? What signs of improvement would you like to see for your business health? What results would be being delivered? What key performance indicators have you set yourself for this year that marketing could help you with? Is it about achieving a sales volume or revenue? Or is it about achieving the same results, but with a lower cost base and a lower investment? Spending some time, first of all, thinking about what do you want to see and why? And what will give you the confidence that the activity you're doing in your marketing is working and making a difference to your business? Once you've taken that first step of understanding, what am I trying to achieve and what does success look like? You can then start to focus on your customers. So taking the next step to look at your business through the eyes of a customer. You can see here on screen a model that shows a customer journey and life cycle. So right from the very beginning, what's the customer need that they've got? The reason that you can attract them into your product, your service? Where will they be when they're researching? 
how will they then select your product, your service, your brand, and what does that purchase process look like? Then receiving that product or service, using it, and then hopefully keeping them loyal and turning them into a repeat customer. So if I look at this through the eyes of a train brand that I work for at the moment, I see this in two parts. One being the physical journey. So someone is buying a train ticket to take a train journey. So there are moments when we can inspire them for a reason to travel, a reason to come and look at tickets, look at destinations and to buy. And then that physical train journey experience, the day that they're traveling, that they're engaging with our brand. And then the time afterwards when we can understand how their journey's been and encourage them to book another journey. Taking a step back, I then think about the overall life cycle. So a customer only enters into your brand once for the very first time. So they can be researching multiple times, but that one very first time that they come in as a brand new customer, and then hopefully they'll be purchasing numerous times with you. And it's about maintaining that longer life cycle. So the two pictures being the journey of the experience with your brand and then the long term life cycle, which is brought together here in this diagram. So moving on to the next slide, looking at that specifically for your business, where within that customer journey and that customer life cycle do you want to drive the biggest change to achieve your KPIs and success for your business? So, for example, if you know that you've got a limited customer base that you're talking to at the moment and is purchasing with you, perhaps you'll spend more of your time at the front end of the journey, which is how can I attract more new customers to my brand through marketing? Or it may be that you've got a really comprehensive database of customers already or people who historically bought with you in my world, traveled with me. Perhaps it's more about going after those existing customers or customers that have possibly lapsed and trying to reignite them into customers. Or perhaps it's about customers who've just traveled in my world or just bought from you, but perhaps, you know, they've not had the optimum performance and it's perhaps about recovering that opportunity and saving them as a customer. So spending some time to look through the whole customer life cycle, where have you got the opportunity to drive change that's going to match up to your business KPIs and what you're trying to achieve? So one example may be if I've got a low cost budget, but I know I want to try and attract as many new people as possible. Perhaps if you have a loyal base, is it about utilizing your marketing activity to encourage someone to refer a friend and to reward them for that so that you can then open up the number of customers that you've got to be able to talk to? So to recap on the selecting your audience before we move on to the targeting stage, first of all, taking a step back and thinking, what does success look like for my business? What are the key performance indicators that I would like to make a difference in? And then look at the customer journey and the customer lifecycle and identify where are the opportunities where you could drive change through marketing that would help you achieve those business goals and business KPIs. I'll now hand over to Martin, who's going to take you through the targeting section, which will help you with identifying who you want to speak to and what you want to tell them. Brilliant. Thanks, Claire. Um, so reaching the right audiences on and offline actually can be deceptively simple. Um, many platforms will quite happily take your money uh, in return for firing out ads to a whole bunch of irrelevant users. So uh, Facebook boost button. I'm looking at you when I say that really. Um, so we've got or we've developed a, a very simple five step process really to finding and reaching your perfect customers. So the first step being targeting, second step being hypothesize, third step test and learn, step four scaling and step five reviewing and repeating. So let's take a look at step one. 
that being targeting. So as Claire's mentioned, identifying the key audiences uh, for your for your business and be, trying to be as specific as possible is where we all need to start. Um, developing personas for each of those and keeping that whole life cycle in mind. Um, sounds very simple, right? Um, but as we know, we've probably all had to sit down and do this. And whilst we might be able to do some fairly generic personas, trying to get into the detail of what motivates our potential customers and how do we segment them online? How do we find them online? It can get quite tricky. So we do have some tools that we can use to help us develop these personas. So the first one of those being Google, um, it's it's free and it's full of useful insights into how your customers search for your products and services. So the first one being Google Suggest, which is on the left, and that can show you what searches are looking for around the search term that you enter. So here we've got an example. One of our clients um, is a reusable water bottle company. They sell stainless steel insulated water bottles. Um, and we can see here that two important factors for customers when they're searching for this are going to be leaking. Uh, we've got towards the bottom there and also making sure they're cost effective being the second ones people searching for cheap reusable water bottles. So already we've got two factors that we can put into our into our campaign. Further down the page on Google, you've also got what other people have searched for or what other people have asked, should I say? Um, and again, that's related to the query that you enter in at the top um, and it's giving us more and more valuable information about how they're searching, what questions they've got when they're researching our products. Uh, but the good news is you don't have to do endless amounts of Google searches for this. Um, there are two tools that we can use to kind of scrape all this data from Google for us. The first one is Answer the Public. Um, similar to how you use Google, you put in your term and it will spit out all of the various different things that Google Suggest does. Um, so again, that's a, that's a gold mine of information. Um, second one is similar, but it, it scrapes that also asked box. So again, we've put in, put in reusable water bottles here and we've got a whole host of different um, questions, some of which can be used for our targeting, some of which are, if you look on the left hand side, are great for using within your content marketing because they, they're questions that need answering um, and why can't you write a blog to, to answer those. Another great place is actually Google Analytics. So I would have thought most of you have Google Analytics installed on your websites already. If you go into the demographic section under audience, um, you might have to switch on sharing information with the Google Display Network to get access to this. Um, but what it can give you is demographic information. So it will tell you the ages of the people visiting your website. Now this is either through explicit information that people have told Google or it's implicit by their browsing behavior. Google kind of makes some assumptions about their age. And similarly, you've got the, the gender as well, whether it's a uh, whether they're male or female um, browsing your site. Um, another section of analytics is the demographic and interest data here where we've got affinity categories, which is they're the broadest, I suppose, the, the broadest way of targeting people through the Google Display Network. But here what it's doing is it's saying the people that are browsing your site are put into these broad affinity categories on the Google Display Network. Um, and then again, on the right hand side, we've got in-market segments, which are further down that buying funnel. So they're a bit more specific, but it's saying they're in the market for all of these different things. So again, what we can determine from that is, okay, well, they're, they're interested in our product and service, but what else are they struggling with? What else are they looking into? And we can gain a very valuable insights into that through that section. 
You've also got your own CRM data. So with the right GDPR permissions, you can, of course, upload those into various different advertising platforms to build lookalike audiences from. So instead of just uploading them all in one go, there's two different ways we could split this. You could say, I'm going to split my data into high value and low value customers. Um, I'm also going to split it into long term versus short term customers because potentially I want to spend more of my marketing budget targeting a longer term customer than a shorter term customer. Um, and then you've also got the remarketing pixels that you can place on your website um, where I've, I've shown you an example here coming up for Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, so face the Facebook pixel can pull out what other pages broadly, what other page categories they're interested in. And then on the right hand side, we've also got what specific pages they also follow. So again, it's giving us more and more information on our current website visitors and customers. And then similar to Facebook, LinkedIn, but it's more of a business focus. So the LinkedIn audience insights can pull out what, um, what industry they're in, what job levels they're at. There's loads and loads of good information in there that you can have a look at. And then finally, you've also got your email list. Um, quite often overlooked and probably more important than ever in the age of you know all these cookies disappearing. Um, this is your first party data. This is the data that you own. So why not send them an email and ask them? Here, I've got an example here from Slack where they've I, I quite liked because they actually said how long it was going to take me to fill the form in, um, which is for me, it makes me more likely to fill it in. Um, so pulling all of that targeting information together, what we've tried to do here is again for this water bottle companies pulled it through into two different types of customers really. One we've called young active individuals um, and the other was eco shoppers. So what we try to do is split it between three different areas. So demographics, psychographics and behavioural. So demographics being you know the things that you can't change about yourself, how old I am, whether I'm male, male or female, whether I'm a parent or not in this case. Psychographic is more why would I want to buy or why am I looking for this? Why would I want to buy from you? What's my problem kind of thing? Um, where for the for the water bottle company here, we had a younger audience was more interested in having a unique product. So custom designs, maybe, you know, stenciling their name on it, having fancy colors, that kind of stuff. Whereas the eco shopper, they just wanted to reduce their plastic um, and they were favoring quality really over the longevity. Oh, sorry, quality and longevity over the price. And then we've got behavioural as well. So what kinds of behaviours can we use to target these individuals on the different um, advertising platforms? So, for example, our young active individuals, we found from our research that they were interested in running or walking. They have an active lifestyle, so we can target all of those things as interests um, and similar for the eco shoppers as well. Step two is about hypothesising. So we've come up with these avatars of our, of our customers, but there at the moment it's based on research but it is assumptions so we need to test some of these assumptions and test some of this research so we have given some examples of some tests here so perhaps test one might be our audience will respond better to group imagery than solo people solo imagery so people on their own in a photograph or perhaps test number five on this list is a geographic one so we think people in the southeast will convert at a higher rate than the southwest so all you need to do is sit down, brainstorm a few of these, get yourself a list and then start prioritising them. 
which brings us on to step three, which is testing and learning. Now, when we run campaigns for clients, we're always running tests, but we'll typically run one to two tests for again, for about one to two weeks each with a small level of spend. Um, once we know the biggest levers that are going to that we need to pull, for example, um, which audience and messaging combination works best, then we can put the majority of the campaign budget behind it. And that goes into step four into the scaling there. You can see on the graphic um, this way. What we're doing is we're being as efficient as we can with our budgets um, and we're never spending large amounts of money on just hunches or assumptions at the beginning of a campaign. Um, then as we are scaling that campaign, through the, the winners of like test one and test two, we're still carrying on testing. So we might be refining test one and test two, or we might be testing completely new things. But what we're constantly doing is learning and evolving the campaigns. And when we find what works within those subsequent tests, we're rolling those winners up into our main budget campaign uh, for scaling. Um, case study of this actually in action, we wanted to find out with our client motability uh, what's made the biggest difference so they were posting dms and they were sending emails but does doing any of those things individually or together make a difference um, and what we tested was direct mail only direct mail and email and email only and what we found is when we sent the direct mail a week before the email landed we had a 200 percent better open rate than the other two on test um, and the and we had a 42 percent higher response rate than the other options as well so it shows that doing testing to challenge assumptions and challenge um, the status quo is, is definitely worthwhile doing. Step four is about scaling. So this is where we're moving our test winners into the main campaign with the largest portion of the overall budget. Um, and it's a good idea to keep your audiences, audiences and interests split out here as much as you possibly can, uh, because over time the creative and the audiences get tired and you may want to sort of dial up spend on one group or dial it down on another and it's a lot easier to do that when you split it out and segmented it well rather than having everything lumped into one campaign um it just yeah as i say it just makes everything a lot easier to manage um we can also implement some kind of automated rules here as well in, in the scaling section to help boost the best performing ones um and reduce spend on the poorer performing ones and that just removes the need for us to be checking our campaigns 24 7 because you know who wants to be doing that nine o'clock on a saturday night tweaking spends nobody does so we've got some examples of rules that we typically run on client campaigns this one is an example of if you're an e-commerce brand or you have a clear value for a business action like a lead or an appointment booked for example so if you know the monetary value behind something then this one is a great rule so what we can say here is if over the last seven days the return on the ad spend is more than three or th that's 300 percent then what we're going to do is increase our audience budget for that one by five percent so again that's a lot easier when you have a monetary value because you can say i spent 100 pounds on advertising but i made 500 pounds great let's increase that budget by five percent and then the opposite to that one is obviously scaling campaigns back. So if the seven day cost per action is more than five pounds in this case, then let's decrease that audience budget by five percent. So again, this this uh, cost per action could could be anything. It could be cost per lead. It could be cost per um, form submission. It could be cost per PDF download, whatever it is that you're tracking. Um, you can use these automated rules to scale up and scale down spends. And then step five is all about reviewing and repeating. Um, this is a case where we, you know, 
go round and round and round with our campaigns um, and just manage them really. So firstly, you need to be checking things daily to begin with at least, especially if you have those automated rules running because they can, if you have a rule that increases spend by 5% every single day, you can see how quite quickly that's going to run away with you if you're not keeping it on things. And plan ahead for creative refreshes. So typically creative will last around a month for most campaigns. So do plan in to refresh that creative in advance and perhaps incorporate some of the learnings from previous tests to your next batch of campaign assets. Um, and also don't forget like the time of year, um, the dates and things like that. You can work all of that into your creative. Um, don't bin the losers from your original tests because although they were the losing creative, I'm sure they weren't awful. So do keep them on hand because as your as your winners start declining in their performance, you can bring in some of those poorer performing ones just to kind of tide you over a little bit. Um, and then finally, data driven and dynamic creative can really, really help take the load off of you and your creative teams uh, when when you're running campaigns. And Peter's going to come on and talk to talk to you a bit more about that now. Excellent. Thanks very much, Martin. Uh, that's very good. So what is the value of creative? Well, um, as a creative myself, I'm delighted to say its value is having something of a renaissance, really. Um, so as you can see, according to Google Media Labs, 70% of campaign performance can be attributed to the creative. And high quality creative increases ad viewing by nearly 6% and nearly doubles purchase intent against low quality creative. So really, really good news there. So what exactly is data driven creative? Well, um, it's personalized creative based on audience and contextual signals at scale. And it's actually not new. So we've all been doing it for many, many years across things like TV, press, radio, out of home, direct mail. It was all about getting the message in front of your audience at the right time. So what's happened now? What, is, what, what are the new things that are happening? Well, data driven dynamic creative is the new thing and that means it's become dynamic really and that's due to a host of new channels that have now become available um, so for example tv audience targeting digital display connected radio digital out of home the di difference now is that these that we're able to do this in real time and at scale so what is the secret of managing this new dynamic approach to creative? Well, we believe it's all about having a template strategy that sits behind the creative work that you're doing. So what are the benefits of that? So from a cost perspective, there can be a reduction in production costs, um, better utilization of those expensive assets that you've got sitting there. Um, it allows you, as Martin said, to have cross-channel deployment and opportunities for automation as well. Then from a speed perspective, it can lead to faster campaign turnaround because you've got a lot of uh, the basics are, are set up and in place. Um, you've potentially got a simpler approval process. All of your materials are reusable and adaptable and you can create real time updates when campaigns are live. And last but not least, your return on investment. Well, the whole thing about this is increasing that creative relevance um, the ability to create more variants and having the ability to get creative reporting and analytics and the the ultimate goal is dynamic creative optimization so it's all happening in real time and in flight 
So what is the anatomy of a template? Well, you know, all of you will be familiar with brands and brand guidelines. So often within a brand, you've got fixed elements. So your headline and your brand position, your fonts and your imagery. But if we strip that away for now and look at it as a template, you've often underlying that got flexibility around the headline and the body copy, flexibility around your prices, retailer details, terms and conditions, flexibility around your call to action, and again, flexibility around imagery too. So how might that manifest itself? Well, it's all about making your creative more valuable to the viewer. In its simplest terms, a template can be made more relevant using just simple contextual data uh, like um, localized relevancy, you know, that can go into the headline, um, localized relevancy around offers or retailer information as well. But when it gets onto the next level, the relevancy increases the more we understand the viewer and their needs. So things like a personalized relevancy around the headline, the imagery and the copy, and personalized relevance around the, you know, the customer, their context, their price, their offer, specific products, location, retailer, call to actions. All of these things really do add value to the viewer while they are blissfully unaware of what's going on behind the scenes. So, how would you run managed campaigns for your network, assuming that you're going out through lots of different outlets? Well, there's a number of different things that you can be looking at really. So from an audience perspective, you could be looking at your CRM data. Um, as Martin was saying, you can also be looking at site analytics and third party data as well, of course. Then as far as targeting, there's thing around, things around contextual, geographic and demographic. And finally, simple things like the environmental factors. So what time of day is it? What's the weather like? How near are they to your store or outlet? All of these are things that can feed in valuable data that can improve the relevancy of your creative. So what exactly does that look like in, in, in real life, really? So we've got some, some real life examples of some work that we've been doing recently. So from a dynamic digital display perspective, um, by building things based on a template that, that's driven by data, you have access to automation, you're allowed to or you're able to get dynamic creative optimization and those in-flight updates. And this has become much more accessible now with thanks to things like Google's Ad Canvas. Then moving on to email. Well, if you move to a, module, a modular template-based email build, again, it gives you a much more flexible contact strategy so that you can start to message what the customer wants and when they want it. And again, you can start to bake in automation. And this again has become very much more accessible with software like Click Dimensions, for example. And then even print. So, you know, this isn't something that just happens in the in the uh, online world. It can happen offline as well. So again, dynamic print gives you a much more flexible contact strategy with variable data output and automation and things like XMPy have been doing this for a long time. And then dynamic social. So again, relevant, high quality content, tailored social messages on brand, but localized at scale and systems like Driftrock can help with this kind of thing. And then dynamic video. Every love, everybody loves video and everybody knows the value of it these days. So relevant, high quality content with tailored video messages, custom on air graphics. And again, you can really use this in a multi, multitude of different channels. So systems like Data Clay, really, really helpful in, in making this available to you.
And what about if you um, if you don't have the opportunity to manage these kind of uh, campaigns on behalf of your network? Well, in a situation like that, you're really looking at a distributed uh, approach and something called marketing asset management is really, really useful for you at this kind of stage. So what it is, it's a local marketing portal um, where you can set up all of the campaigns um, using your own brand guidelines and create brand driven data or data driven brand campaigns on behalf of your retailers. So a system like this will give your retailers access to multi-channel, multi-format materials, um, all data driven, um, flexible templates, and it's an engaging platform where they can all log in and have access to this sort of stuff. Within that as well, you can give them access to media buying and planning so they have an understanding of what you're doing at a national level so that they can work alongside that at local level. And you can build in things like co-funding whereby you can put budgets towards their own local marketing campaigns. And last but not least, of course, you get analytics built into that as well. So everybody knows exactly what's happening, not just with the marketing, but how your retailers are performing and what stuff they're doing. It can be integrated through single sign-on into your own um, systems that you have as a brand. Um, it's efficient, uh, reduces a lot of costs, and it's compliant as well um, and follows best practice too. So systems like Brand Muscle are available for, for that kind of thing. So that um, concludes where we've got to so far today. So in summary, what exactly have we seen? Well, um, our aim really was to get you thinking about the wealth of opportunities that are out there to really, really improve your local marketing. Um, and it's an approach that will work in any sector. So firstly, know and select your audience. So as Claire said, think like a human, decide what you want to achieve and why, work out who to contact and what you'd like to tell them and set those KPIs. Then when it comes to finding and targeting the right customers, create personas, as Martin said, of your target audience, find out where they are and then develop um, that hypothesis and test it test it, test it some more, and then scale and test again. And finally, to supercharge your campaign creative, implement a template strategy. Decide upon what dynamic or variable elements you want within your creative and consider using cross-channel optimization. And ultimately, we're looking towards practicing creative optimization. So we've covered a, a lot of bases here. Um, we've tried to keep it as simple as we can. Um, from my perspective, my tip for the day would be to start small, keep it simple, test and scale. So Claire and Martin, um, what would be your nugget for today? Claire, let's go to you first. Yeah, I think my nugget for today would be as you progress through those exciting stages of making your decisions about targeting, designing the creative and getting into the testing phase, keep thinking back to what is it I'm trying to achieve? What KPI am I trying to make a difference in? And use that to guide every decision you're making throughout the targeting and creative process. Excellent, thank you, Claire. And, and Martin? Uh, I think going back to what I was mentioning around testing, really, um, I've seen so many clients, they like, they like the idea of testing, uh, but what they do is they bring their own uh, opinions and I suppose like their own biases to the results of each test and almost throw out the results of the test. So my, my tip is follow the data um, and, and trust that data from your tests and move that forward rather than your own thoughts and bias. Fantastic. Thank you, Martin. Um, so we've had a whole load of questions in. Um, OK, let me pick this one out first. So um, running multiple campaigns for multiple businesses 
sounds really complicated and time consuming. Um, how do you manage that? Um, Martin, shall I throw this one to you first? Uh, yeah, um, so multiple businesses. So it's usually, I'm assuming that question is going to be around multiple businesses of the same franchise. So yes, assuming it's like so. a car dealer or something like something similar like that. Yeah. Um, so I think, as you mentioned, Peter, there was a there's a tool called Drift Rock, which can really help with that. That can help with the setup. Um, and there is another tool that can help with the creative optimization, which I think you mentioned as well, um, which can help pull pull together multiple creative versions based on data. So yes, it's complicated. And for a few, it can be time consuming, but when you actually scale it up to like 150 or 300 plus locations, then no, you're, it's not time consuming. You're saving yourselves hours and hours of time, um, both in studio and in you know manual setups. So, so, yeah. so you're not spending your Saturday nights constantly optimizing. No. That's something of a relief then. So, I mean, I've, I've got a little bit of perspective to kind of add on to this really. So um, Google, for example, has something called the Creative Maturity Framework. Um, and really that has four stages about this kind of shift towards um, improving relevancy. So their four stages are nascent, uh, emerging, developed and advanced. Of course that relates to online activity, but there's also parallels with offline too really. So we like to see that as a, a full 360. So we wouldn't expect everyone to jump straight to, to the advanced stage overnight. Um, but there is the ability to progress gradually whilst testing and learning, as Martin said, as you go. So we find a lot of companies that we talk to, they say, yeah, 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 we're doing that already. Um, but when we actually drill into it, they're really at that nascent stage. So they might be a bit of doing a bit of always on activity, maybe a couple of creative options and a bit of remarketing. But as hopefully we've shown you today, the opportunities are, are far greater than that. So the emerging stage brings more creative opportunities, more rich media, it opens up engagement metrics and, and much more advanced audience segmentation. So that's the next stage. But after that, you would move on to their developed stage where you can really start to make the most of your first party data, which as Clara Martin said is absolutely crucial. So you start to add in more creative um, components, um, and you can start benefiting from those contextual signals too. And that's when things get really exciting. So we've tried to focus today around the opportunities of getting to the emerging and the developed phases within your local marketing. Um, and after that, you move into advanced and that's really where you start to massively take advantage of automation, machine learning and bespoke builds. But that's for another day. I think at the moment it's about picking a couple of campaigns, as Claire said, starting small, test and learn scaling and starting to build this up for yourself and for your own business. Um, so hopefully that's answered that question. Um, I've noticed there's another one that's come in here. Do you have any tips for how to set KPIs around your local marketing? What might they look like? Um, Claire, do you fancy having a go at this one? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So I think if you're looking at the KPIs you want to set for the marketing campaigns that you're going to be testing, if you follow the process that we've talked to you through today, which is starting with what, what change are you trying to achieve, designing the targeting and the creative with that in mind, 
that process should take you to a place where it's quite clear about what difference you're trying to drive and therefore what you should see in your marketing. So, for example, if you've decided you want to focus on attracting more people into your brand, one of the key things that you want to see is people engaging with your marketing activity, be that click throughs to your website, for example, and then seeing those people landing on your site and using the Google Analytics or whichever analytics site that you're using throughout your website to see what are those people doing when they're arriving. So if that's what you're looking at in terms of right at the front end of the funnel of attracting people in, or perhaps you're focused on a challenge that you've got at the moment. So for example, in my world of trains, it might be if we've got a destination along our route that um, we've not got as many people traveling to. So let's say, for example, we decide to do a campaign inspiring people to travel to York. We would be looking very specifically at how our marketing activity is driving people through to our booking engine and buying tickets specifically for York. So it's about being able to hone in on what KPI you're trying to move, how you've then designed your targeting and creative to follow that and following, as Martin said, follow the data all the way through as to what difference do you need to see at the other end that's a hard fact in the data that you can see that your marketing activity has driven a change in behaviour. Fantastic. Mark Martin, would you like to add anything? Um, I think, I mean, no, Claire's covered most of that, I think, um, but in terms of like how, how would you keep an eye on those and, and how do you measure them, um, I guess two tools are going to be your saviour. One is Google Analytics, as Claire said. Try my advice would be to try and make that your source of truth. Um, try and push as much data as you can into that, uh, because that can almost deduplicate all the conversions you might be seeing across the multiple platforms. Um, and also, Google Tag Manager is probably another one to get if you haven't got that installed. Get that installed by your dev team, because as marketers, it can mean that we can do such a lot more with your website um, than if you have to go back to developers to get things changed. Um, for example, you might want to track new conversions. You know, you put a new page live on your site, um, and you it, that's not tracked natively. If you have Google Tag Manager, you can add some tracking to that page quite easily. Um, so I'd say those two tools probably help you track your KPIs. Fantastic. Thank you, Martin. Um, and there is uh, there's one more question here. Um, we're, we're doing quite well time wise. We've got another five minutes, so I think we'll pick this last one. So um, doesn't a template strategy inhibit your creative options? So I, I've got to jump in on this one, really, because uh, this is uh, this is something I get quite excited about, actually, over after many years of um, working on templates, really. I, I actually think that this improves creativity. It does challenge the creative teams and gets them to think differently, um, but it stops people. It stops laziness, really. And you've got to remember that the template itself is actually um, kind of like a hidden sort of foundation that sits underneath the creative. Um, when you come and look at a house, you, you're not really worried about the, uh, the foundations because they all look the same, but you have the ability to build on top of that and create something very clever and very exciting. So. I, I absolutely don't think it, it inhibits creativity, and in fact, it it drives it along uh, further. Um, Claire, what what about you? Your your experience there? I totally agree. From a, a client side perspective, I think one of the first things it does is it takes out the debate and enables you to have consistent elements, which means that you've got a really consistent look and feel as to how you're presenting your brand. And I think especially if you're working perhaps with different agencies across different channels that you're using, it straight away takes that debate away and makes sure you're being consistent about how your brand is being positioned. I also think it challenges people to think more creatively about the testing element, because 
because when you're focusing on the creative where you've got the space to make a change, your messaging, your call to actions, it gives you the brain space to be able to think more about what things could I test to drive a change here and focus more of your energy on driving change through what you're putting into your marketing rather than having to start at the drawing board every single time. Thanks for listening to the Talking Local Marketing Podcast. You can find more on Spotify, iTunes and Google. If you'd like to find out more about how to activate your brand with local audiences, get in touch. Just Google We Are Acuity.